Welcome to Wired for Impact, home of creators, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are wired to make a difference. If you're here, it's because you have three things. Number one, a unique gift or calling. Number two, you care about people. And number three, you have a deep desire to contribute. When you add those three things up, you are in the game of creating impact. You are what I call an impact player. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the program. And in each episode, I have conversations with world-class impact players who have aligned their unique gifts with the contribution they've made in the world to create massive impact. So listen into these conversations and allow them to inspire you to overcome the obstacles in your way and to fulfill your potential. All right, I'm here with Colonel Steve Murray. Colonel, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're busy. My pleasure. Um, pleasure. I'm glad we were able to finally connect. I know. It took us a couple of weeks to get here. That's all right. That's all right. There's there's quite a few things going on in the world. So I have some appreciation that you might be a little bit preoccupied. Just a few. Yeah. Just a few. I started following you a little bit ago based on the recommendation of a mutual friend of ours and uh, have been very just blown away on some respects. And I think just frankly, appreciative of the tone that you're bringing it. I mean, I saw some things over a decade ago that really sort of alarmed me. And I was like, why Am I going crazy? Why is anybody else looking at this stuff? And it's really nice to see people just starting to call things as they see it without fear, without apology. And you certainly, you certainly do that for anybody that's a. (laughs) I am not G or PG rated. No, I swear I call it out. I don't pull punches. And that part of the reason I don't is very simple. We've talked around, because of political correctness, we've talked around the core issues for so long that now we have to talk to them. Like one of the things that I, you heard it today, is we need to start calling people traitors because that's Mm -hmm. what they are. And we don't do that. So that's part of the reason why I'm as raw and as straightforward as I am. Well, that's probably a good precursor for anybody that's listening that this conversation is going to be very raw, I imagine, because you're in it. And um, there's a lot of there's (laughs) there's a good assumption there. (laughs) There's a lot of things that we want to cover on this call. So first and foremost, for those that don't know who you are, if we could just give a brief background as to your career and what you have specialized in. So I spent 23 years in the military, started out in the Air Force and I did the missile and space operations I left the Air Force after I went to joint school at Quantico called Command Control System School. It was Command Control Warfare, which then was the precursor to information warfare. Back then, it was a lot of electronic warfare and kinetic and strategic attacks against command control systems, which morphed into information operations, information warfare when I transitioned to the Army. The Army and their infinite wisdom branched me. I think it's because I was a 19 in the Air Force. So they saw 19 and branched me into armor, which is 19. And that that correlation didn't match at all. But luckily, when I was in that space, I met some really good officers that really gave me a lot of good food for thought, how to be an officer in the Army, what the Army cared about, things I need to pay attention to. And from there, I went into an information operations battalion And I stayed in and out of the information operations space for the rest of my career. And part of that space is cyber defense, cyber attack, cyber exploitation, which translates into intelligence, intelligence operations, intelligence gathering. And it's a place the Army is not good at. And the Army was never really good at information warfare in the first place. So they created this this, uh, functional area for information operations, but they really didn't know what to do with it until 
about mid mid 2008 2009 when the cyber attacks especially in Afghanistan and Iraq started to ramp up the enemy started using cyber against us and we had been I had been literally talking about it for years anyway I got sent to DC with about 25 soldiers and we went out initially to handle a brush fire but it turned into a longer term operation where we were writing doctrine for the agencies, we were writing doctrine for the Army CERT, and it was all around security operations and cyber defense, cyber attack, and cyber exploitation. In fact, a lot of the operational doctrine that the Army uses, I literally wrote while I was at the Army CERT in 2008. A lot of Mm. that, you used to call it advanced persistent threat, but now it's called advanced network operations. And they've morphed from the Army CERT to a cyber fusion center, and it's because the, the military doesn't know how to integrate cyber defense into intelligence, right? Because it's all one picture, right? You use technology to propagate the intelligence that you've collected from electronic sensors and satellites. And all of that can be interdicted by the enemy, especially if you're on a wired or a wireless network, right? They have the ability to interdict. So part of the education process for, for my unit, especially, and we did it at the joint level at Pacific Command, was we educated all the general officers and the admirals, this is how this all works. This is how all this fits together. And, and the easiest way to explain information warfare is think of a marketing program where you have very targeted things you want people to buy into, right? Think about the products you buy every day. Think about how you're inundated with commercials and radio and Instagram or Facebook advertisements of some way, shape or form. There's print media, There's a variety of different communication sources that you can use to influence the population. And essentially, they've taken that stamp and they've moved it over to the intelligence agencies and the intelligence organizations across the planet and turned it into a way to manipulate the public, right? And this goes all the way back to the Orson Welles War of the Worlds in the 1920s that scared the hell out of the entire population because it was so vivid. Every single intelligence agency across the planet took that experience and turned it into doctrine. And it's been refined and refined and refined and had various names throughout history. But essentially what it really is, is a marketing program. And you use all the different medium available to you to influence the population. That's why we talk about information as as real information, disinformation, misinformation, influencing operations, talking points, themes and messages, themes and narratives. That's why we use those terms, because we're we're using long-term communications to influence the population over a period of time. And let's take COVID, for example. COVID was, it was all fear porn, right? So they hit us with the fear narrative that this is going to, if you touch stuff, it's going to kill you. If you touch other people, it's going to kill you. And then they went into, here's the data and science, right? You heard that for weeks, data and science, data and science. All that was was scaring the population and maneuvering the population to accept the lockdowns. Once they did that, then it was literally influence, influence, influence to go to masks, influence, influence, influence to get to the vaccines. And the vaccines were created in 2015. Anybody tells you anything different, go look at the patents. There's 400 patents for COVID. And I believe that's a low number. But the point I'm trying to make is, they had already planned this influencing operation long before it ever happened. And there's a variety of reasons why it was tripped up. But at the same point, look at how many doctors and how much 
influence they used, right? John Bolton was on CNN either today or yesterday. It was yesterday. And he, and he was talking about the January 6th stuff, right? And he described to a T how much logistics it takes to do any kind of information operation or any kind of influencing operation. And he was very, he was spot on. I mean, in one moment, he debunked the entire January 6th commission, right? And basically said, Trump just kind of stumbled his way along trying to delay, which is not him, you know, maneuvering for a coup. It was him trying to get the electors recounted, right? So he he did two things all at once. He perfectly explained information warfare, and then he explained that it wasn't a coup. So let's take a step back for just a second, because this is like a fire hose for a lot of people, for the average person who's just, you know, trying to put food on their table, take care of their kids. They notice the gas prices are going up, this, that, or whatever. They know something's off. There's, we're obviously at each other's throats politically, but let's take a step back for a second and just talk about information warfare as a as a general concept. If country A or organization A is looking to influence country or organization B, what are the principles of information warfare? What are you looking to do? What vulnerabilities are you looking to exploit? Talk to us in a general sense what those things are. This is a common misconception with any kind of information operations discussion, right? People want to talk about how does this relate to kinetic activities? How does this relate to strategic objectives, right? Kinetic being bombs and guns. Yeah, beans, bullets, and gas, right? That's that's kinetic. Bombs on target. And the easiest way to look at it as, think of it as deception operations, right? So when we were planning for the Normandy invasion, we expended a tremendous amount of resources to create these fake armies in northern England that the Germans could fly over. They would see them move around. They would hear the radio traffic. They would see the movement and deployment of forces They would see these quote-unquote training exercises, which were nothing more than figurines in a field that they could fly over and take pictures of that were moved around several times a day. Think of it in that concept, right? But it's a little more sophisticated than that. You're literally trying to convince a population to believe a specific set of, not objectives, but a specific narrative and a specific set of talking points. And you want them to react to those talking points and those narratives in a way that's beneficial to you. In fact, I'll just say this. I've never seen the scale, the pace, and the amount of coordination in any information operations campaign more than I am right now at this moment across the entire spectrum of all of our communications. And all of it is being run by communist China. Every bit of it. How do you know that? Every institution, every agency, And literally every organization in Washington, D.C. has been infiltrated by communist China. Everything you are seeing right now, every action they take, every time they try and discredit people like Mike Flynn and others that are in the truth movement, is right out of the communist doctrine. They literally discredit their enemies. They call them conspiracy theorists. If there's Marxist doctrine to a T, all of it, right down to the mainstream media. And if you've listened to my sit reps, you'll hear me say, You need three things for an insurgency, right? Control leadership, which they have. Control of the media, which they have complete control of the mainstream media and legacy social media. And you need an army. And that's what they've been doing for the last two years. They've been trying to purge the military and all the agencies of anybody that's loyal to the Constitution. That is communist doctrine right there. And if you look at how they're trying to indoctrinate kids in school right now, And Trump tried to get rid of Confucius University, which is 
communist indoctrination. Every single aspect of our society has been infiltrated by the Chinese, and people don't realize it. They don't mm-hmm. even see it, and they're not even paying attention to it. How can we help them? Uh, how can you help expose that to somebody who can't see it? That, that's a tough call, right? Because you have you have three different populations in this country right now. You've got the folks that are on the left, the patriots and the truth movement that are have been awake for years and have seen them building this infrastructure for the last 20 years. And people think that this is a recent phenomenon. This goes all the way back to 1992 during the first Gulf War. So the first Gulf War was setting the stage for the war on terror, which the war on terror was really about implementing the Patriot Act, all the monitoring and all of the, let's just say, infrastructure to monitor networks and to monitor people's affiliations across multiple spans of communication. From there, they started building infrastructure for facial recognition, for a lot of the tools that are being used right now for heat sensors and things that we saw rolled out during COVID. They were building that infrastructure back in 2001, all the way through to 2008 when Barack Obama came in. Then he put in place the senior executive services and they put in place the CFPB. People don't realize that the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau is an extension of the communist arm. And what they do is they're going around right now. Have you heard of ESG, environmental, social, and government scores that the banks are mm-hmm. rolling out? Yep. All of this is headed towards a social scoring system. And the social scoring system is set up around you have a specific individual ESG score and companies have an ESG score. And the CFPB is running around. They're just thugs, right? They're accountable to no one. They have unlimited budget. They don't have to disclose their budget. There's no oversight by anybody in the government. The only thing that the president can do is pick who's going to run that organization. And there was a Supreme Court case, of course, John Roberts was the one that caved and said it's not an unconstitutional organization, which it absolutely is an unconstitutional organization. But their job is to go around and intimidate businesses to sign up for ESG. And you're already seeing this. I literally sat through two hours of ESG today. How we're recycling computer equipment, how we're recycling pieces of server equipment and metals, et cetera. That's just one aspect. That's the indoctrination aspect of it, right? We have to be good stewards of the environment. We have to make sure that we're recycling everything and that we're not throwing things into a landfill because that's toxic for the environment. But really what you're doing is you're convincing the population to normalize this behavior and then you're going to hit them with. We're also going to tie this into the federal health pass, which they quietly rolled out last year. And that's going to tie into your digital driver's license. So you, to get the digital health pass, which the feds control, you have to have a digital driver's license, which they've already rolled out here in Arizona. So are you starting to see the pathway that they're using and the way that they're slowly signing up? It's like the I-2s, right? The I-9s, when you sign up for a business and you go to work for somebody, the first thing they slide across the table is an I-9 for your federal income tax. People don't realize that's voluntary. But now, because of the fact that they've normalized the behavior, everyone assumes that it's a mandatory thing and it's not. They're going to do the same thing with this. I think what the average person can grasp is, okay, there are adversaries on the planet that are not 100% in love with America. But what people, I think, have a struggle with sometimes is... You're saying they and you're talking about communist China, but you're also indicting certain people in our own government. Help somebody who has not been paying attention 
get up to speed a little bit with how that was actually possible. So, yeah, let me let me step back a little bit. You're, so the, the first thing you have to assume is that everyone in D.C., especially right now, is compromised by China, every single one of them, or they're hardcore communist believers. That's the first place to start. How did that happen? Well, the first thing that China did was they went after the banking sector and they compromised people in the banking sector that had access to elites, not only in New York, in San Francisco, but they had access to elites in Washington, D.C. They used those contacts to leverage people in D.C. and bribe people in BC and turn people in D.C. And not high-level people yet. They turned bureaucrats and certain agencies, certain government like the FDA, CDC, and the SEC, they converted people in those agencies first, and then they went after politicians. Because look, politicians are figureheads. They're not there full-time. What you need and what China wanted was access to all of the agencies that controlled their ability to conduct commerce in this country, their ability to trade with this country, to acquire property, and look at what they're buying right now. Tons of so, real estate, yep. Yeah, they're buying, well, they're buying food production, food plants. They own a lot of the meatpacking plants here. They own a lot of food-related and agricultural infrastructure. People don't even realize it. And media and voting yeah. machines and yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of our infrastructure. Yeah. So they stepped their way through it over 20 years. And if you understand China's version of war, they call it total war. And they will literally... There's no bridge too far, there's no mountain too high, and there's no valley too deep for them. They will do whatever it takes to compromise and subversively take over any country. And they have literally done it across the planet. It's not This phenomenon is not just here. Italy, almost in total, their entire government is compromised by China. Spain, any of the European countries, with the exception of maybe the UK. But MI6 and Chinese intelligence work very closely on a number of key information operations, and people don't realize. So zoom in a little bit closer. To, when you say compromise, are we talking about people who are you know, communist in nature that were put into those positions? Are they being blackmailed? Are they being bought off? What does compromise actually yes, definitively mean? all of the above. China doesn't do anything directly. They do everything through proxy. So what you're seeing right now in, let's just take... Congress, for instance, right? So you have three flavors in Congress. Look at a guy like Adam Schiff. The guy is a flaming pedophile. He's He's been implicated in several nefarious activities, both in, in Los Angeles, as well as in other parts of California, with known sex traffickers, known pedophiles. He's been implicated in those. China has leveraged, probably leveraged pictures, videos, et cetera, just like Eric Swalwell was compromised by Fang Fang through Bang Bang and got himself in trouble. There's a number of ways they can compromise you. They can do it financially, which means you can be underwater or in debt and they can come in and rescue you. And you don't even realize the Chinese are offering you loans and bribes. Then they've got you. They throw a honeypot at you and you have sex with an underage girl. You don't know she's underage. They're taking pictures. They're doing videos. They got you there. Or they get you just by bribery and they can get you a number of ways through bribery where you don't even realize you're being bribed. Hey, we'll donate to your campaign if you do X. We'll throw some money in the pot here for this organization if you do Y. They don't even realize that that's a bribe. Hmm. Other things they do is they just plain straight out bribe you or straight out threaten you. And they've done all of those things. Mm -hmm. And 
The other thing to keep in mind is what most people don't pay attention to is there's always been a social contact contract in our society from all the way back to the Revolutionary War until now. And that social contract was very simple. It was, we know that you're going to live a life of opulence and you're going to somewhat enrich yourself while you're in office. As long as you do what's right for the American country, what's right for the American people, we're fine with that. But somewhere around the early 90s, I'm going to say, and this goes all the way back to the 60s, but somewhere around the 90s is when the, the culture shifted, right? There was always a certain amount of malfeasance that was going on. In fact, in the 80s, George Bush Sr. was implicated by name in the Boystown scandal that he had oral sex with two underage boys. And there was several witnesses to it. So this, the pedophile stuff and the child trafficking thing, that goes way back, way, way back into the 50s and the 40s. This has been present in our elite societies for years. Where the shift happened was in the 90s when the Clintons came to town. They brought pay for play. And pay for play is essentially, I'm going to do what you want me to do for money. But at the same time, I'm going to compromise you and other people affiliated with you so I can leverage you later or leverage you now, depending on what I need from this establishment. And they went to several establishments. And when I say establishment, I mean the D.C. elite, the New York elite, the San Francisco elite. They made their rounds around the country and compromised hundreds of people. And they started in Arkansas. The whole whitewater thing in Arkansas wasn't just a grift because they're grifters by and large. But they got into the pay-for-play business, and then they got into the compromise business. And they were the first ones really deeply in bed with the Chinese. George Bush Sr. was the one that started a lot of the conversations with the Chinese and started shifting technologies. But the Clintons sold technology to them in the 90s, and people weren't even paying attention to it. So now here we are in 2021, and people are wondering, how did we get here? We got here because the D.C. elite and all of the different tech elites, as well as the New York elite, they were all in bed with Jeffrey Epstein, right? So the part that people don't realize is the currency for the elite is not money. When you have as much money as you could possibly spend in 10 lifetimes, money is not important to you anymore. It's children and trafficking of children that is the currency of the day. And that's the thing that people don't realize. They don't realize how entwined so many different elite families are. We're talking old money here. We're not talking about this new tech money. We're talking about old institutional money that has been on this planet for generations. And they have trafficked children forever. The royals in all of European countries, the elite in all the European countries, guys like George Soros, they thrive on children. And Look at Joe Biden. His behavior tells you the guy is a raging pedophile. His daughter has a diary that talks about his addiction to children. And nobody's refuted it because it's real. You have to look at that premise. And why is that important? It's important because that's the tools they use to compromise people, especially somebody new to D.C. They would go to Jeffrey Epstein's house and he would say, how'd you like a massage? Sure. Why not? OK, that's kind of weird, but OK. And literally, he'd have an underage girl give you a naked massage. They got you. That's how the game was played when the Clintons came to town. And they were really, really close, especially Bill, was really close to Jeffrey Epstein. 27 trips on his airplane. You only go to that island for one thing, to rape, torture, or, you know, have sex with children. Andrew was there and a host of Hollywood stars. 
because I've seen the manifests. I've seen all the names. Even John Roberts' name is on there. So that's how they compromised everybody. And they took years to do it. They played the long game. They're not short-sighted like we are. The Chinese are very long-sighted. They'll literally plan operations that will take 100 years. And some of this is they've been working for 40 years to get to where we are right now. What is their end game? Three things. They want to destroy the U.S. And when I said destroy the U.S., I don't mean destroy the infrastructure. They want to kill off the population. They want to kill off the culture. They want to marginalize our stance and influence in the world. And they want to be the reserve currency. They want their 100 years of rule. They want to completely decimate every aspect of this country so that we pose no threat to them whatsoever over the next 100 years. And the vaccines are killing people. They're taking our food supply. They're buying our land and our production capabilities. They've already moved most of our energy production out of this country, and they've done it through proxies, and they're doing it right now. What they ultimately want is us to be a satellite of communist China with a social scoring system. And guys like Sergey Brand and Eric Schmidt, people think they're these really smart guys. They're not. They were put in place because they are patsies for the Chinese. So are you saying that they didn't, they're not uh, computer engineers? They didn't come up with the algorithm to start Google in the first place? No, Jack Dorsey didn't start Twitter. Mark Zuckerberg didn't start Facebook. If you look at the revelation today in Gateway Pundit, Gateway Pundit came out today and said that all of the legacy social media companies are flooded with CIA, FBI, and other agent intelligence organizations from Washington, D.C. What does that tell you? It tells you that those organizations were already set up to support the federal government. And you're looking at pure fascism the way the Nazis did it back in early 1930s, where they mixed business communications with the federal government. And that's what you're seeing right now. It's all being exposed that these relationships have been there since the start. And now they're being exposed that they're moving all these people from the agencies to these organizations. And it's because... They want to kill off the alternative media and bring those back as the de facto media so they can control the cultural narrative. That's right out of Chinese doctrine, every bit of that. And they took a page out of the Nazi playbook in the 1920s. Every uh, average conservative in America knows on some level that there's some truth to that. They've seen the censorship. They've felt the games being played. They've seen the shadow banning, the silencing, et cetera. I mean, not to split hairs, but is it possible that there are entrepreneurs that come up with these technologies and then they're compromised and then they're taken over by larger entities or or deeper pockets, et cetera? The short answer is yes. But that capability isn't as robust when they come up with it, right? Mm-hmm. My case in point, I have a friend that I've known for several years now. I worked with him, and he was always a bit of an intelligence guy, and he was a computer guy. He came up with a tool that allows you to spoof an IP so you can show up as you're in another country, but you could be sitting right here at my desk hacking something in Washington, D.C., but make it look like you're coming from Iran. He's mm-hmm. the guy that wrote that tool. The agencies bought it for a fair amount of money. They hired him as a consultant. Then they threw a bunch of people at it and made it really, really robust. And now they use it all over the place. So you could be getting attacked right now with a denial of service attack where you don't have any internet. You look at the IP space that's coming in and guess what? It's from, let's say, Japan. But it's really, you know, in Virginia. He's the guy that came up with that. 
Mm. When the way that the, the way that they took it from him was essentially they brought him in, they threw some money at him and said, yeah, it's not really viable. They ran in bankrupt and they took the IP and away they went. So th- th- there's a number of ways for them to get the technologies. They can outright buy it. Look at Bill Gates. He just outright bought DOS, but he didn't invent it. And if you know anything about Bill Gates, the guy's a tyrant. He's an absolute tyrant. And he's got good PR people. So everybody thinks he's this super uber nerd. He's not. He's none of those things. And neither is Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, first of all, he looks like an alien. Just going to say that. He's an alien looking <laughs> dude. He does. He does. Did, did, you, did you see the beginning of his interview with Lex Friedman by any chance? Uh, oh. <laughs> he, I only he, made it through like three minutes. I'm like, this guy is from Neptune or really somewhere way out there. Because he doesn't even identify with anybody in this planet, right? <laughs> right? So there's a number of different tech oligarchs that come across like they're these uber nerds, but they're really not. It's just a persona that's been built up around. Look at look at Barack Obama. Barack Obama was the Manchurian candidate. He was literally, he was brought on the center stage. Nobody knew who the hell this guy was. He had all the right talking points. He had all the right image. He had all the right people around him. And then he got put in office. And anytime the teleprompter went off, he was a babbling fool. And you just realize everything about this guy is fake. And then when you start working with him and his administration, which I did, and and I did it in several, you know, several different venues in the lobbying side of the house. I saw I had to go to congressional meetings. I had to deal with lobbyists. And you realize that everybody in his orbit, just like the Clintons, is a complete douchebag. No moral compass whatsoever. But the guy that really, I want to say, set it all off was Rahm Emanuel. No morals whatsoever, like zero. And then you couple him with a guy like David Axelrod, and you're like, wow, this is like a black hole of immorality and stupidity. Mm. And he surrounded himself with people that had no moral compass. And John Brennan was the quintessential. He's Muslim Brotherhood. All you have to do is listen to the guy talk about the Muslim religion. You realize this guy's Muslim Brotherhood because he's a devout Muslim. He talks about, you know, how he loves the Quran. He was Barack Obama's handler. And all you have to do is listen to him talk to figure it out. It doesn't take a lot of rocket science there. It doesn't. So, when when he first came in office, there were so many dots to connect that were not difficult to connect because it was just literally looking at his parents, Frank Marshall Davis, his, his influencers, his mentors, the stuff he studied in school, his own confessions, his own book. I mean, it's all right there. If somebody wants to look at it, it's right there. Not to mention that the, the language, the slogans, et cetera, are just literal copies of Hugo Chavez's Venezuela. These are things that I keep bringing up. I'm saying, how do you not see... The, this, but it harkens back to that one video that I'm sure you've seen the Yuri Bezmanov KGB agent that apparently flipped or whatever. And that's gone viral in certain communities online where he describes how the Soviets, how they, what do they call it? Subversion measures or active yeah. measures or something like that. Yeah. That's basically they, influencing operations is what he's talking okay. about. And he says essentially that you could show somebody the absolute truth, the documented truth right in front of them, and they'll still deny it. What is that? What is that vulnerability in the human psyche that allows for that? Well, there's three things you play on, right? You play on fear, then you play on their belief system, and then you play on their cultural values. And in this case, he's right, because look at what's going on in Ukraine with the biolabs. The, the Russians have uncovered 326 biolabs run by the Defense Threat Reduction Agency across this planet. And you got to ask the question, 
what the fuck are they testing? Why do you need three? What the fuck do you need 300 labs for? I mean, so I could do some basic math and say, okay, maybe four or five labs. So you're testing viral agents, you're doing vaccines, maybe you're doing some kind of genetic experiments. And well, okay, over here, you might be doing some cloning. Four or five different reasons you would do that, right? Which you have to assume that every government on the planet is doing the same thing. But 326 that are closely tied to pharma, oligarchs, and a number of other nefarious players within that region, Europe and the US, and they have biolabs in communist countries. You have to ask the question, why are we operating in communist countries like Venezuela, like Argentina, like, you know, and there's- Wuhan. Yeah. Well, so the Wuhan thing is literal cover for the Chinese. That is that is completely how they would do things, right? They would have somebody else pay for it to, as cover to say they were collaborating, and then they would take the best for themselves and leave whatever's left over for- uh, Fauci and crew, which is probably what they did, and then plausibly deny that they were involved. We didn't know this was going on. That's BS. Every single company, every organization, every communications company in communist China is affiliated with the Communist Party. There is no exception to that. So to kind of to circle back, though, to the bigger picture, the cognizant dissonance that people are seeing right now is because they've been indoctrinated by the mainstream media. Like, just watch, just Go talk to anybody who watches CNN or MSNBC any day, and literally you're talking to a robot. I know. My mother watches MSDNC every single day, and I can't even have a conversation with her both below a shout because she's so brainwashed by their narrative that she can't hear anything else. She's still talking about how Trump has destroyed the country. I'm like, Trump's been gone for two years. He hasn't been doing anything for two years. How did he destroy the country? And I listen to the narrative, I'm like, wow. But what you're seeing is people that they're so dependent on the system. And this is where the matrix comes in, right? So the, the matrix where Neo and Morpheus are talking about the red pill, the blue pill. And he gives them the, he gives them the red pill and he says, there's people so dependent on the system, they will fight to preserve it. They are our enemy. And look at how long it takes him to see the truth and the realization of what's really going on in the matrix. And it's because he was so brainwashed and indoctrinated to a specific view, which starts in elementary school for us. And it's propagated all the way through when, until we die, practically. Look at how many advertisements, how many kid shows, how many kid games, how many kid CDs are tailored towards consumerism, and you will see why people cannot believe the truth, even when it's in front of them. And it, I can tell you, I've kicked doors on red rooms, which are, they're basically torture rooms where they take children, people pay tremendous sums of money on the black market and on the dark web, and they view kids being tortured, raped, and mutilated, and they dictate what happens to the child in the chair. And when you roll up on a place where there's been, you know, stacks and stacks and rooms full of body parts of little, little kids and babies, it affects you in a lot of different ways. And that is par for the course all over this planet. And all of that, all of that took time just to believe what I was seeing, right? And then when I started doing cybersecurity work, especially in the civilian world, you see a lot of child porn because most of what you see from a fraud perspective is centered around child porn, child exploitation, child trafficking, 
And people don't realize how big of a problem it is. But it took almost a year for me to absorb some of the images I was seeing after doing some of forensic investigations. Like I would go in to companies that they'd have some kind of network issues or they have persistent issues with malware and a few other things. We'd go in and do an investigation. We'd figure out, yeah, there's a porn server running in here and most of it's child porn. You've got, you know, 30,000 people hitting this, this specific site, which is hitting this server right there in that rack. And it's full of child porn. There's 45,000 images in there. And when you're working with law enforcement and the FBI, you literally have to package everything and hand it to them in a silver platter before they'll investigate it because there's so much of it, they can't cover down on the whole country. So where I'm going with all this is, is that it's very easy to understand why people don't believe the truth when they see it. And part of it's because they get so much disinformation and misinformation that by the time they see real information, they don't believe it. They have to corroborate it to two and three sources. And it doesn't affect a specific demographic. It affects a variety of demographics. I have a friend who is a PhD, and he was one of my closest friends. And I've known him since I was 18 years old. And he's one of the guys in my life that has been a role model. But he is so indoctrinated to the left's messaging around equity and the LGBTQ and the transgender community. He can't see anything else. He just can't hear anything else. And I, I had a conversation with him a few weeks ago because he called me about, he actually was texting me about he wants to buy a firearm. And we got on the phone and he started talking about, you know, what do you think of what's going on in the news? I go, it's all communist indoctrination. He goes, you think this whole gender and trans agenda is all communist doctrine? I said, yeah. They're using it to divide the country into groups. The, the smaller and smaller the groups, the more and more you can have them turn on each other, the more and more likely we are to have a civil war. And ask yourself a question right now. How many pissed off people do you know that are just mad and they don't know why? He goes, a lot. I go, yeah. It's because they divided the country through all these themes and narratives to the point where even if you're in the same community, in the trans community, you could be at odds with another part of the community because you're binary or non-binary, right? It's brilliant when you think about it from the information perspective. But the point I'm trying to reach is even with all those divisions, all those labels, all those different categorizations, people still don't believe the truth when they see it, even when they see it in two or three different venues. It literally has to be repeated hundreds of times. Like, look at this Hunter Biden laptop. That motherfucker is a pedophile. Yeah. He's a crack whore turning tricks in his living room, moving whores around. I mean, he takes a weekend in Vegas with hookers and blow to an entirely new level. Mm -hmm. And here's the kicker in that. The Secret Service was watching this guy for how many years? And he was doing this shit, which makes you wonder how much of the Secret Service is compromised to where this guy could get away with felonies in front of the Secret Service, and nobody says a word. I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. He's got child porn. He's got drug trafficking. He's got prostitution. He's got money laundering. He's got fraud. He's got bribery. I mean, Jesus, he's a RICO case in, in and of itself. And he filmed it all. I mean, dude, it's one thing to have a porn stash, but come on, man. You film everything. The fuck is wrong with you? I mean, here's me committing a felony. Here's me having sex with a kid. Here's me with an illegal firearm and me lying on the farm to get that firearm. Like, are, you, are you kidding me? And it doesn't seem like it's the exception either. I mean, it oh, seems shit, like there's no. a lot of that. The whole, how, the whole place. The whole how, place is that way. 
I was just the whole place is DC. The whole the whole elite system. And here's why that is: when you get to a certain level of power, position, or let's just say wealth, there's this protective bubble of insulation you have to where you can commit any fucking crime you want, and there's no accountability. Mm-hmm. Look at Epstein. The black book from Epstein should have burned down Washington, D.C. in total. Every person you can think of. And here's the kicker with Epstein. So the prevailing rumors are, is that number one, that was a CIA operation. That's treason. Number two, it was Mossad. If it's Mossad, that's an act of war. Nobody's talking about it. And everybody knew Epstein. If you understand how the the circles work in the elite, especially in New York, right? To do business in New York, you literally have to go influence all these people within the elite. So you you mixed and intermingle with all these different groups of people. That's why Trump was intermingling. He was a real estate guy. You can't do real estate without intermingling with the mob, with the state officials, with the city officials, and then the elite. And you literally have to go influence people that own these derelict buildings that are tax write-offs. I want to take your building, your land. I want to put a casino there or a hotel. Okay, what are you going to do for me? Well, I'll give you... 10 years worth of rent, and then I'll buy the property outright. And okay, 10 children, whatever, whatever the case may be, right? And so you affiliate with all these different social stratas and different groups within that apparatus, which it makes sense why Trump would have crossed paths with Epstein several times because Epstein traveled in all those circles, compromising people. Yep. So all that makes sense, right? The part that doesn't make sense and the part that people can't latch into is that our system of governance, our system of commerce, and our system of banking is the same as everywhere else. Somebody somewhere in that apparatus is on the take getting paid. And you have to pay people up the ladder to get the things you want. And the higher up the ladder you go, the more power and influence you have. The more power and influence you have, the least likely people are to do the right thing and go after you. That's why the only people you ever see in Washington, D.C., that are prosecuted, especially since the 1960s, since Nixon left, have been low-level players. Because nobody wants to go after the big fish because if they topple one domino, the whole fucking house of cards goes down and people will see the entire government, including the agencies and all the SESs, are fucking compromised. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to be the one to roll them up. And that's the other thing. There's not enough people that aren't compromised to roll up all the people that are compromised in D.C. And then where are you going to house them all? You're talking about a million fucking people. Are you going to take them to Gitmo? Well, that's like five, 6,000. That's so a pretty bleak a, outlook. What do you do? What do we do? So there's three things. So I talk about three things. First thing is we've shifted the cultural narrative away from legacies, social media, which was the first step in taking back the country. Legacy we social have, media being Facebook, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google, yep. YouTube. Okay. There's still people on YouTube. There's still people making money on YouTube, but people especially a good, probably half the country has moved off of those platforms. Just like half the planet has moved off those platforms to Rumble, to Truth Social, to Parler, to there's a number of them. Mm-hmm. The point is we've shifted the cultural narrative, which was the first step in taking back the truth and getting people red-pilled to the truth. The second thing is I talk about line of sight and sphere of influence, and I talk about it all the time, and I'm repetitive about it for two reasons. Number one, People need to realize the only people in their world they can influence are the people directly in front of them. People want to boil the ocean and go all the way up to the national level and say, well, if we take these people out, everything will be fine. 
No, it won't. Because they've done four distinct things to this country that people don't realize are important. Number one, they've dumbed the population down to where people don't know how to grow anything. They don't know how to fix anything. They don't know how to build anything other than houses and infrastructure related to that. But people don't know how to sew. They don't know how to mend clothing. They don't know how to grow crops. They don't know how to purify water. They don't even know how to turn meat into beef jerky. All of those things have been lost. They don't even know how to can foods. And the first thing we need to do is take back some of those skills because it will take us off the dependence of going to the trough of the grocery store and feeding at the trough. It will make us more self-reliant. That's within your line of sight and your sphere of influence because everybody in your sphere of influence, e.g. your neighborhood, your community, has specific skill sets. So the other thing I say about line of sight is use those specific skill sets within your community so everybody has a purpose and you're all working together to produce food, to mend clothing, to build things, to make clothing, to make equipment, to fix equipment. You're going to have to do it at the community level because the system is being architected to fall apart. Look at what they're doing with the fuel right now. They're going and rapidly trying to burn through the strategic oil reserves so we don't have any fuel like Sri Lanka. They're taking over food production and they're limiting the amount of nitrogen and petroleum products that we used to put in the soil to grow crops. They're making that so price prohibitive that farmers can't even afford to grow crops this year. They can't even afford to feed their livestock. They can't afford to replant their fields. They can't buy hay. They can't move anything. So it's going to distill down to the neighborhood level. And it's not really, things aren't really going to start to affect people until they're uncomfortable. And uncomfortable means they can't afford gas. They can't afford utilities. They can't afford food. They can't afford rent. And then it'll be a reality for everybody. And that's when it's important for people like you and I that are already awake to have a plan in place and have people organized to be able to start receiving and categorizing people and getting them pointed in the right direction with enough resources to sustain the group. And there's strength in numbers, which is the other part of sphere of influence. You want to build a community of people that are like-minded, that are dedicated to getting off of the systems of control and taking things back to the local level. Because the reality of the situation is we have to take the states back and the states, once they're taken back, the federal government will have no power. Right now, they're using fear and intimidation to cajole people into doing what they want. And if they get a social scoring system in place, which is what they used two years of COVID to do, to build the infrastructure to support that, you sign up for one part of that, like a digital ID or a digital driver's license, you sign up for all the control measures. So you have to steal yourself away from the fact that you may not have coffee or Starbucks for five or six years, but you will be self-sufficient you will be able to barter and trade with your, in your own neighborhood, your own community. You'll be able to work and you'll be able to feed your family. But it won't have anything to do with grocery stores, big chain, big box stores, or the federal government. You'll be doing it at the local level. That's how we take our country back. And we have to write out this election, even though it's, they're going to steal it again, because they've spent a year and a half making excuses, especially here in Arizona. You heard my update today. You know that they've done nothing meaningful to correct any of the problems in 2020, and they're doing exactly what they did in 2020 all over again. The only difference is now we've organized here in the state where we have people watching drop boxes, we have people watching polling stations, we have people taking photographic evidence of every single fucking ballot that goes into a drop box, and we're going to force 
the law enforcement officials to take action. And look at what happened to Branovich. Branovich got hit in the face with a fish when he got on stage for that debate because of guys like me, guys like Seth Keschel, guys like Jordan Sather that have called out the malfeasance in all of these different politicians. And people know it now. So that's the second step. The second step is we have to out every single affiliation relationship and malfeasance by the federal government, by big tech, by big companies, and bring it to light. Because the elite and the federal government and the intelligence agencies are relying on American apathy and laziness to sign up for all of their programs. And where this is all going is a one world government. So the way we fight back against that is we do what the Sri Lankans are doing right now, which is they're taking back their country. But the problem there is there's a lot of different geopolitical things going on that's going to turn that place into a war zone. Plus, there's going to be mass starvation there. We're ahead of the curve. And we're ahead of the curve because you have 100 million Americans that are wide awake right now. You've got another 70 million Americans that are in the middle going, yeah, there's something really wrong. I don't know what it is. And I don't know where to find the information. But I'll go start looking over here. They're starting to get red-pilled by people that are in our camp. Then you have probably 70 to 100 million people, triple vaxxed, totally in the system, totally okay sign up. They'll be dead in 18 months. This, this vaccine is fucking killing people faster than any other thing that has hit this planet in 100 years. The death rates, so I just saw something from the UK today that said the death rates among the double vaxxed and the triple vaxxed is 75 times higher than just normal deaths and 170 times higher than year-to-year deaths. What does that tell you? This thing's fucking killing people. And now they're talking about a fourth and a fifth. So you got 100 million that are dead already. They don't even realize it. 100 million? At least 100 million. This is probably going to kill probably 2.3 or 2.4 billion people across the planet. There's entire countries that are triple vaxxed. And I've been saying since 2020, watch Israel. Israel is a canary in the coal mine. Israel is the most vaccinated country on this planet. How did they, how did they not see that? Not to be arrogant, or I, I say that with deep humility. How does, how does a population not, I, I, you would think that that population would be the most alert, the most. No, actually the most alert population on the planet is the black community. And it's because they've been fucked over by the government so many years for so long, for so many times. They don't trust anything government says. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a very small population that does. And that's the the community. Look at Africa. There's entire countries in Africa that never played the COVID game. They never took shots. And they're the healthiest countries on the planet. So I was just going to ask you, are there any pockets of sanity in the world right now? There there are. Yeah, there are. Where where are there? There's quite a few. There's a few countries in Africa. There's a few countries in Asia. I mean, there's a certain level of insanity across the planet, and it's because the the pharmaceutical companies are the ones that were propagating and buying off all these different countries, right? And it wasn't just the pharma companies. It was nation states and pharma influencing and bribing and threatening people to mass vaccinate people. So that's why I was saying earlier, even if we kill the politicians, it won't solve the problem because the pharmaceutical executives will still be there, the business executives and the banking executives. We're talking about thousands of people that have to go away in order for things to level out. And something has to be done about the mainstream media. They either have to be shut off, shut down, or they all have to be arrested. And then the question becomes, 
who is going to be the source of information because nobody trusts the mainstream media. You go shut them down. And guess what? You think they're going to trust you? It goes back to cognitive dissonance, right? Yeah. We can, who's going to be the source of truth? And that's part of the information war. They've created a situation where nobody sees anyone as the source of truth. And that's part of the problem. How do you decipher between myths or disinformation versus what's true? You go to the source. You have to go to the source and you have to vet three or four different sources around that that says the same thing and shows the same images in total, not 15 second sound bites. People spend so much time wrapped up in 10 second sound bites that have no fucking context in reality. Mm-hmm. And then they look at the Floyd riots, a 20 second video burned down all of Minnesota. I mean, that is the perfect information operation right there. And then they play them offices, war hero and the gold casket. Oh my God. It was a way or every pun, every, cliche done but the way to get through disinformation and misinformation is go to the source and i routinely put things out of my sit reps so that people will actually go and fact check me and and they'll routinely say that's not right good you're actually doing research on the things i'm saying to make sure the things i'm saying are true and part of the exercise of doing the sit reps is not just to sit there blather out information it's to get people to critically think about the things i'm saying and go do their own research And it starts in the community, right? One of the things I loved about the Iraqi community, especially the Kurds and the Iraqis, is that they knew everybody in their neighborhood. They know who belonged there, who didn't belong there. And if you didn't belong there, you can bet that one of the sheikhs or one of his soldiers is going to walk up and go, what are you doing here? Who are you? Mm -hmm. Where are Mm -hmm. you from? Why are you here? How long you plan to stand? Who are you here to see? Do they know who you are? Let's go talk to them. And if none of your story checks out, they throw your ass in a trunk and they take you away. And you Mm -hmm. don't come back. That's how we have to be in our communities to the point where we reestablish a secure perimeter for children, for elderly and people without resources. And then we start to expand out from there. That's how this has to go. Mm -hmm. We literally have to come all the way back to the basics and build our way out. But here's the best part of that. You're already seeing that. You're seeing a revival of Christianity. You're seeing a revival of people that are coming back to community. You're seeing people on both sides of the fence that are there confused about what's going on. And they're actually having conversations. I had a conversation. It was about two weeks ago now when I was in Washington, I went to the store, I was seeing my kid and I went to the store and this guy flaming liberal, blue hair, nose rings, a whole nine yard, God. And I had to get over my stereotype. Right. But she walked up to me and she said, I don't understand. Can you help me with this? She was looking at spray paint or something. She's like, I'm trying to do, I need to do a barbecue, blah, blah, blah. So we started talking about heat temperature paint and I helped her, you know, figure out the paint. And then she got on the subject of politics. She goes, were you in the military? And uh, of course, you know, the short hair and the whole nine yards. I'm like, yeah, I was in the military. So we started talking and she goes, I'm usually a very progressive liberal person, but I am so confused right now with what I'm seeing in our society I don't know who to believe or what to believe. And I said, well, what's your core values? What do you value most? She said, my family. I said, okay, what's your definition of family? And she said, my definition of family is my mother and my father and my partner and her family. That's family to me. And some of my friends I consider family. Okay, you're no different than 100% of this population. Everybody thinks the same thing you do. It doesn't matter what political affiliation they are. That's what they think. And She said, I didn't realize that. I go, yeah. I said, what is your definition of community? And she said, people in my neighborhood. 
I go, do you care what color or what race or religion there? No, no, I don't. I go, isn't it funny when you think about it that way that you're not wrapped up in the politics of it? You're just thinking of it. This is my neighbor. I don't care what they believe. As long as they're minding their own business and they're doing their own thing and they're taking care of their family, I don't care. She's like, yeah. I go, that's community. We share the same value system, but you've been led to believe that everything you believe is different. And it's not. It's the same belief system. Whether you believe in a higher power or not, that's a whole different story. But that doesn't mean you're less than. It just means you don't believe that. And, you know, and I said, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Christ. And I believe that Christ was sent to this planet to atone for all of our sins. And I also believe that there have been several, let's just say, spirits or spirit guides to come down to this planet and help us help guide the population in the right direction. And we have ignored it. And, you know, I said, the interesting side of this is, this is where I differ from the Christian church, right? Because I, I've had experiences personally where literally I felt a hand on my shoulder and somebody talking in my ear hmm. in very critical moments of my life. And that's not me hearing voices. That's somebody guiding me in the right direction. And, and I was saying this to her, right? And I said, you probably think I'm crazy. She goes, no, I don't actually. I don't believe, I don't believe in, in God, but I, I'm spiritual. I said, okay. So I don't have a problem with that. I said, would I want you to be a Christian? Ideally, sure. But I'm not here saying you have to be or you're less than because that's your belief system. I respect that. Anyway, we talked for about 45 minutes. And what she realized after that 45 minutes was I'm no different than her. And once she got through that, she started to see other things. And she was texting me the other day asking me about what I think of Barack Obama. And I said, I don't think you're ready to hear it yet. And she said, why do you say that? I go, because he's a traitor. And she's like, I'm starting to think that. Mm. I go, well, here's your homework. Go do research on where he started, when his time at Harvard, and see if you can find anybody that saw that guy on the Harvard campus anytime he was supposedly in school. Mm. And you will see that that is not only not true, but it's a persona. And I said, the whole birth, birth certificate thing, I don't care about. I'm just going off of his actions, his words, and the people around him. And go just go look at who his role models were. Go look at who his religious figures were. Go look at who his parents were affiliated with. Go look at who he was affiliated with while he was in office. And you who he launched his whole campaign from? Yeah. And you'll yep. see a stark reality between the persona that's been made up and who he really is. And he's just the tip of the iceberg. But the part about that exchange that I am hopeful about is the fact that you have somebody like that that's been brought up in that progressive system, indoctrinated in the progressive system, is starting to question the very fundamentals of their belief system. And you're seeing that all over the planet. You're seeing, look at what the Dutch farmers are doing. The Dutch mm -hmm. farmers are like, hey, this is it. And they had the realization that the Americans are about to have. And that is, they're really coming for our livelihood. This is, we're either all in or we're all out. We either fight and die or capitulate. And that moment's coming here. And this is what I think is going to happen. So take this with a grain of salt, because I've been wrong about stuff. I think they're going to come up with some kind of a black swan event before the election, so they can try to either delay the election or decide the outcome, or they're just going to blatantly cheat. It's going to start some kind of a civil disorder, and then they're going to try and clamp down with either martial law, or there's going to be some kind of an attack and drive the country into chaos in some way, shape, or form. I actually thought the Roe v. Wade stuff was noise, and it turned out it was noise. What they were really going after was the red flag laws, and I thought that would generate a lot of dead politicians, and it didn't do anything. 
So whatever's coming is going to be some kind of a massive event. It, this nuclear thing that, that's popped up this week, that narrative, to me, is the black swan. Because they are reinforcing the fact that not only an attack can happen in New York City, but it's highly probable. And then you, 24 hours later, after the video of, this is what you do in bed of a nuclear war, get inside and stay inside. Jump in a ditch and put a raincoat over your head, because that'll help you. It's that stupidity. That but so they, real quick that that was the video that New York City or state put out as a hey an unlikely event that this happens here's what you need to do. Yeah, and the question everybody should ask themselves, why are you putting that out right now? Yep. What is so important that you have to spend resources, time and money to push out some video on nuclear war? Are you kidding me? And that then should have been red flag number 1. Then red flag came out two. the next day. Yeah. yeah. Then the next day is Barack Obama saying the threat of nuclear attack in New York is very high right now. Really? Based on what? Is that all the copious amount of stupidity and intelligence you're getting right now? Well, that's so this is where critical thinking has to come into play. How do you know that? How is nobody, how's no media saying, how do you know that, Mr. Former President? How do you know specifically that it's going to be that event and at that location? He didn't say New York, he said Manhattan. Like, how much more specific can you be? And he said it was a greater threat than Putin, which from the liberal progressive side is, you know, the biggest enemy in the world right now. But okay, so how did you arrive at that conclusion? Are you being briefed? Are you who is giving you that information? I don't know why the average person isn't asking those questions, let alone the questions you're talking about, which is why are you telling us this now? Well, here's the scenario. This is so. The January 6th commission, the whole premise behind that is so they could trump up charges on Trump and charge him with some kind of a felony so he can never run again. That's the intent of the whole thing. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to literally coerce, muscle, cajole, and threaten all the witnesses that are coming forward that were in his inner circle to get one of them to flip so they will get him on some kind of a charge. And thus far, they haven't been able to because he didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And let's just say, for devil's advocate's sake, that he's in Manhattan at Trump Tower or at one of his businesses, and a bomb goes off. They take out Trump. They cause a major black swan event. Guess what? They've killed two birds with one stone. And isn't it very amazing that Barack Obama has said several times before something big like that happened that it was going to happen? And he's very specific about where it's going to happen. Their arrogance is always their undoing. They're going to t- he's telling you what they're going to do before they do it to us. And the mainstream media is so controlled that they wouldn't ask any critical questions anyway. And most of them are too dumb to ask any questions. It's the alternative media that's asking those questions. And people are going, yeah, why are you talking about nuclear war? Mm-hmm. Right. But it's a very small subset of the population. And they're telling you that they're going to conduct some kind of attack. I think that that's how they're going to go after Trump. And I think that's the fail safe. If mm-hmm. they can't get Trump through the January 6th committee, which it looks like they're not going to, then they take out him and his family while he's in the office doing work. Because the guy's a machine. He works all the time. So if he's smart, don't ever go back to fucking New York, at least for the next year and a half until after the 2022 midterm elections. But I know he's not listening to me, but I think Don Jr. is. So we'll see. Where do you recommend people go to to get solid information? Well, there's several channels on Telegram and several channels on on Rumble that are good. So Dan Bongino does good work with the federal side of the house because he's dialed into the Secret Service. He's dialed into the federal community and the FBI. So he knows what's going on there. Jack Basobiec is on Steve Bannon's War Room. He's got a Telegram channel. He's got True Social. 
He is dialed into the White House. He knows what's going on and what's coming out of the White House. But none of these guys are going to talk about this black swan stuff. That's only in the truth community. So in the truth community, you've got Seth Keschel who talks about election fraud. You've got a channel called OSINT, O-S-I-N-T, that's in Telegram, that's run by a group of intelligence folks that I'm affiliated with. They feed me information. They feed the Washington Pundit with information. The Washington Pundit's another good source. They have a Telegram channel. They have a website. And they do yeoman's work to verify all of their information that put it out. And they'll issue a retraction if they get something wrong there. Impeccable with their word. You have the New York Post that prints really good articles and their mainstream. You have several channels that are in Telegram, like Kanakoa the Great. He does a fantastic job of putting things out. There's Disclosure TV. There is the library. These are all channels in Telegram. There's a number of sources. Do you like Epic Times? I love Epic Times. My problem is they're behind a paywall and I've already given them shit about it. So <laughs> I just use that little button on Safari and it, it pa- bypasses that. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Epic Times. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the problem I have with Epic Times is that is it's behind a paywall, right? But they mm. do they do yeoman's work and they're behind a paywall because they're not funded by anybody. So they have to pay sure. the freight through subscription. I subscribe to their stuff on my iPhone, but of course it doesn't show up on my laptop. That's what I'm saying. That's why I do it. I have, yeah. for whatever, unfortunately it doesn't go across platforms. Yeah, but. I'm too lazy to, but to enter my password and remember my password. So it is what it is. But that said, the those are a very, very good source of information, right? And then you, you have to vet it against other sources of information, but that's a place to start, right? Like the guy that does True Pundit, He's, he's running some of the same circles I have in the federal government. He is dialed into Congress and the Senate and that group. And he's been spot on about so many different things. But you got to wade through his Thomas Paine podcast because he couldn't reach a point with a gun to his head. It drives you crazy. But eventually he reaches a point. And what I do is I skip through his, his first 40 minutes because it's all horseshit anyway, him bullshit about whatever he's bullshitting about. And then about 45 minutes in, I get to what his topic is, and he's actually really good. There's a few folks like him that you can go off of. Substack is full of really good journalists. I mean, mm-hmm. really good journalists. I have a Substack for prepping that my admins put together, and we were doing a lot of information about, you know, fresh water, about food, food production, and it was getting lost in the Telegram channel. So the admins created a Substack, and one of the one of the admins that I have, same Trooper, he's got, I think it's the American First Precinct Project. Let me look it up, and I'll tell you exactly what the channel is. Right. It's American First Precinct Project. That's what it's called. Yeah, America's First Precinct. Okay. He does a lot of stuff on on elections and election issues, and he is. He is very dialed in. Laura Logan is another one that's on Telegram. She has a lot of good information. She's also on True Social. She's on Rumble. And American Media Periscope, I've been on Sean Morgan's Banking Sense of the Madness several times. Sean Morgan, he publishes a lot of good information. Like me, he doesn't always get it right. He, you know, He's tied into Gateway Pundit. Gateway Pundit does good things, but they get things wrong. And they're very, very pro-Trump. I if you've listened to me for a while, you know I don't give a shit about who the renter is in the White House. I care about mm-hmm. free and fair elections and restoring the Constitution and replacing all these people in the federal government and reducing the size of the federal government, right? I guess I guess you could say I'm a libertarian. But that said, 
Um, Sean Morgan on American Media Periscope, he does some good work, but I'm not a 107 guy and they, they, they're all in with 107. I think the guy's a grifter and he's completely full of shit. He's even stolen some of my material, which cracks me up because I say, I guess they say the best form of flattery is plagiarism, right? So um, he's used some of my stuff. And if you've listened to me for a while, I talk about the Battle of Midway and it was one of his topics. And there's several shows, Jim, Jim Grumvig and a few others in American Media Periscope that, that feature him regularly. I'm not a fan. Sean Morgan does not. Sean Morgan is, he does um, a show every single day. He's got guests on that he vets his team his team vets and they're all good people so he's a good source at least to start some of your analysis but that's just a few of the channels i pay attention to and i i look at the ufo stuff all the way to mainstream media to see what's being pushed across all the platforms and where the common narratives are that's another way but again i'm seasoned at seeing what those narratives and those talking points are so for me it's not a major muscle movement to say, okay, that's BS, that's BS, that's narrative, that's talking points. This is a controlled asset. Most people don't have that discernment. So I would say start with Substack and some places off of, oh, the, the one that people really want to go to is revolver.news. That's the other one. Those guys do yeoman's work of, and they mine Substack so you don't have to pay a bunch of people. They pay them for you and they pull their data and they publish their articles the populist press is another one that's a replacement to Zero Hedge. Zero Hedge still has some good information. There's a lot of places you can go for information. But yeah, I would say revolver.news, they are by far they're they're in par with the Washington Pundit. Okay. So what about maintaining privacy? What can people do to minimize their digital footprint so we can stop being digitally raped? Get off of social media. Literally, get off of social media. And like, I don't have Facebook, I don't have Instagram, I don't have Twitter, I have True Social, and I have Telegram. Those are the only two platforms I'm on. I leave my phone at home when I can. I mean, I'm on it more now than I was before. But I would say this, look at how many different times of the day that you access your phone and what you're accessing it for. Then make a plan to cut that in half. And once you're able to cut that in half, cut that in half again. Get it down to where you only look at your phone when somebody calls you. And that's how you'll be off of social media and you'll be out of their control grid. Leave your phone at home as much as you can. And if you have to like buy a, you know, a, a GPS for your car because you're challenged with directions, do that. Mm-hmm. You really don't need, people don't realize we don't need phones. We can, we operated for how many years without phones in our car? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's the first step of doing it. The second step is stop paying attention to mainstream media. Stop watching the local news. Stop watching the mainstream news. Don't watch any of it. Don't even watch primetime TV. It's all garbage. Mm. Don't. And, and here's the challenge. If you think I'm crazy, go watch, go just go to Netflix or Amazon and literally browse how many dark Luciferian or child related titles there are just on the, the main page that you scroll through. And I think you will be amazed at how much influence operations are in just entertainment. Mm. And then the news is literally controlled from Fox News, all the way down to the local TV stations, and they all say the same thing. You don't need to watch two or three different news channels. You're going to see the same shit on all of them. Just turn it off. Go mm-hmm. to alternative media. Go to Substack. Go to Zero Hedge. And th- that's the other thing. Condition yourself to stop paying attention to the crisis of the day. That's how they agitate you, and they're able to manipulate you. If you watch the news, the news is set at a tempo so that by the time you're done with an hour of news, you're so agitated 
and your system's so unregulated, they can influence you through any other mechanism because typically you go to the news and then you go to some kind of an entertainment because we're very sedentary. So we'll go from the news to Netflix. Guess what? The news agitated you, so you go to a dark title, and guess what? They're influencing you there as well. They're even influencing you in video games. Yeah, uh, the video games where it's like, take over California, and I'm like, this is pure propaganda. To start to walk through the mental exercise of like, well, what would it take if I to take over this part of the country? It's yeah, like they're conditioning you to accept, conditioning, sure. accept behavior. Yeah, yeah, that's what um, the I think a big part of this too, I've done a lot of personal development stuff and you go very deep psychologically with why do you get agitated in the first place? So yes, you could sit there and watch news for an hour and get fully agitated, but why are you getting agitated in the first place? What is the psychological triggers that are agitating you in the first place? To me, that is a huge vulnerability that a lot of people, it's subconscious. And so therefore they don't think that it's themselves that's perpetuating their own demise, essentially. Um, looking at you know, their, their relationship with their parents. How, how many people do you know that are self-aware and internalized and then not many. take that and actually action that to some kind of a healthy outlet versus unhealthy, like medicating with drugs or alcohol right. or sex or video games or, I mean... Our whole society is set up to be addicted to something. And if you look around, nine out of 10 people are addicted to something. Yes. But that's kind of my point is that we're in a cycle. And if you look at, um, you know, my grandparents, your grandparents, that generation, they would not be as, you know, you look at education back then. I think you said this in one of your sit reps, if I'm not mistaken, that, you know, an eighth grade graduate at that age is answering and knows more than the average adult does today. That generation would not be as susceptible to all the bullshit and all the influence and all the manipulation. And well, and why? It's because they had a more grounding sense of who they were, probably had some type of religion or some type of faith that gave them a moral compass, et cetera. So as we're shifting out of the bullshit phase that we're in right now, it seems like emotional maturity could be something that we put on the list is figuring out why you get so triggered in the first place, take responsibility for that and not shift that power over to somebody else to be able to manipulate you so easily. You're describing the fourth turning because they talk yep. about this in the fourth turning and yep. it's really an academic analysis of things. But one of the things they talk about is the social fiber belief system degrades to the point where the latest generations don't believe in anything. And if you look at where we are, you have an entire generation that doesn't give a shit about anything, right? right? Whereas our generation, the generation before us, we're products of World War II, we're products of Vietnam, Korea, the Cold War. So we've seen a national purpose. And what you're talking about is there, there needs to be a national purpose or a belief system in order for people to self-internalize and to have a moral compass. And mm -hmm. that's why... It's so good that people are coming back to Christianity because it gives you a foundation and belief system based on a value system of, you know, it's basically Judeo-Christian work ethic is what it is. And it gives people a common purpose. And that's what's missing right now is you have the, the degradation of not just the leadership and the elite of society, but we're very reminiscent of the Roman Empire just before it collapsed, right? You have this, yep. this out-of-control elite that's, you know, having sex with just about everything and everyone. And there's no boundaries, no morals, no moral compass. They believe that they're the chosen ones. And if you want to be a Roman citizen, only those in the Senate can be citizens. Everybody else is a slave. That should be, sound very familiar to where we are right now, right? And that's mm -hmm. 
And what usually happens out of that is that fourth turning is you'll see a, this conversion and a, you'll see a lot of death, but this conversion to a belief system and a unified view of the world and a common purpose. And that's where we'll start to see that. But we're talking about this is generational. So we're going to, it's going to take us 20 to 30 years generationally to unwind that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a concerted effort, right? Part of the way we did that after World War II was we literally built a belief system into our education system. So they were learning math, science, physics, religion, and they were learning. We used to remember home economics. Remember, remember that? Yep. You would have to go learn to cook and sew. There was a reason why and we used to think this is stupid. I'll never use this. Well, I always looked at it as this is probably a good skill to have. Like I took a mm-hmm. typing class, right? Yep. And shop class. I, yeah, I took shop class too. I could weld. Yep. I, I could, you know, use any kind of tool on, on wood or metal. And it's helped me, right? Like, because when I started doing this gunsmith stuff, I already had a foundation. I understood how metal works. I understand how you heat metal, how you bend metal, how metal reacts to heat and heating over time. So all those things I already knew because of the education I've been through. And it wasn't the military that taught you. The military teaches you how to shoot. They don't teach you anything else about the gun other than to clean it, right? I learned a lot about firearms and firearm technology through this course, but I also learned it a lot from my old man because my old man and, and all my uncles were all into firearms and they were into hunting and fishing. And my mom used to can things. They would go and they would buy pallets of peaches and apples and they would can everything. In fact, we had, mm-hmm. we had mason jars. We had a pantry full of mason jars and I never <laughs> understood why. And my dad, you know, my dad was a meat cutter. He was always had some colorful phrases and one of the one was, you know, there's five kids in here, five mouths to feed. It's expensive to feed five mouths. So we go buy this stuff in bulk. We can save it for months and I tell the store to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dad. Great yeah. life lesson. <laughs> so yeah, Some common sense to that. Well, you, when you distill out the, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the crassness of it, you see that he, what he was really saying is, this is a way for us to afford feeding five kids all the time. And yeah. we don't have to rely on the store and store prices. And he would make jerky. He would smoke meat. He would freeze meat. In fact, he used to tell me, you don't go buy anything fresh. You buy the sale meat because it's still got life for four or five days. And it's just as good as the other stuff. Plus it's aged a little bit. So it's going to taste better. <laughs> and I'm like, didn't think about that. So he got me in the habit of doing that. And the other thing was we used to talk about, like my old man never bought a new car. He wouldn't do it because he was in the belief system that you can run the car you have forever if you take care of it. And of course, you know, toward later years of his life, he didn't take care of things. But he taught me along with a friend of mine. I had this friend named Bob when I was a kid. And when my parents split up, he was really a father figure, an older brother, right? He taught me how to buy cars. He taught me how to fix cars. He taught me how to manage my money. He taught me how, he taught me pretty much all those life skills that we take for granted. But you ask anybody that knows me, my cars are impeccable. Like my cars never leave me on the side of the road. And it's because I invest the money and the time to do all the periodic maintenance to keep them in tip top shape. And, Mm. you know, my kids have picked that up. Like my oldest drives the Honda Accord I bought in 2000. She still Mm. drives, got 295,000 miles on it. And she's done her level best to destroy it. But she keeps it maintained. It doesn't look great. It's not perfect, but it runs like a sewing machine. And she, she said, I learned that from you, Dad. 
I throw mm-hmm. money at the things that keep it running. I don't throw money at the cosmetics. And that's the way my old man was. And that's the way mm-hmm. Bob was. This guy cracks me up because he bled common sense. You hang around this guy, you realize, first of all, he's incredibly smart. Second of all, he's incredibly humble. And then third, he's loaded with common sense. So by the time you spend 10 minutes, you're like, I'm a complete idiot. (laughs) Why didn't I just think of that? But here's a case in point. He'd buy a car, right? And the first thing he would do is he'd wash, change the oil, change fluids. And I go, why are you doing that? He goes, because you don't know where it came from. They can Mm -hmm. tell you anything when you buy the car. You drain the fluids, replace all the fluids, and you, you do a tune-up on it, and you check the transmission fluid. And every single time that I bought a car, there was every time I dropped fluids out, guess what? There was something wrong with it. Mm. And I learned really quick that you do these things, these things every single time. But what he was really teaching me was repetitive habits. Teach yourself repetitive habits and things that save you time and money. And you will always be better off. And one of the things was, like, he'd drive somewhere, he'd come back, wash his car. Rain, sleet, snow, wash his car. I'm like, why are you washing your car in the rain? It's, it's raining. What is wrong with you? He's like, it might be raining, but I'm taking off all the road grime so that it doesn't turn into rust. And I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. But doesn't rain rust cars? He goes, no, the dirt that collects on all these, these different cracks is what builds up and the rain mm. keeps it moist. And that's what rusts your car. I'm like, mm. all right, fair enough. <laughs> I'm stupid. All right, I got it. The my point of this is though, and thanks for bearing with me on this one, by the way. Of course, of is course. that we've lost that skill for repetitive, common sense things and healthy activities, mm-hmm. and and we need to start getting that back. And we are, believe it or not, the good news in all this is you're seeing all this starting to come back, mm-hmm. and you're seeing like, have you tried to buy mason jars in a store? Uh, not in the store online, and, and they're expensive online, aren't they? Yeah, they're like yep. forty bucks. Yeah. I saw him t- today. I was at Target and I haven't seen them in months. And literally as they were putting them out, people were taking boxes of them away to where he would like put one up. They take two out, put one up, take two out. And I, and I sat there for like 10 minutes laughing at the guy. I go, is this normal? He goes, we cannot keep these things in the store. Interesting. I go, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, all the canning supplies. We ordered a bunch of it. We got a big truckload of it. It was gone the same day. He goes, just like today, I'd put it out, they'd walk away. He goes, I'd start with an empty shelf and they would end with an empty shelf and an empty pallet. And I'd have to go to my boss. What are we going to put there? And it's because people are starting to can again. They're starting to long-term storage of food. They're learning how to plant. Like if you, if you tried to buy seeds, seeds are massively expensive. And it's because mm-hmm. they're in such high demand, just mm-hmm. like vertical gardens. Vertical gardens are coming into high demand because you can build those in urban areas. So mm-hmm. you asked about good news. There's a lot of good news. The fact that we've taken the cultural narrative back is great news. Mm-hmm. But the thing I need to caution everybody on is the enemy's still going to execute their plan. They're yeah. still on their plan regardless. And you got to steal yourselves that even if we start today, we're, my dogs are barking. My dogs never bark. Mm. So that's probably the FBI coming to arrest me. Um, <laughs> Well, quick, quick, tell us, what do we need to know? Quick. <laughs> the, 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 the quick answer is, is that you're going to be uncomfortable for a while. They're driving us to a culmination point. But there's strength in numbers and strength in your community. Get involved in your community. Get involved and expand your line of sight and your sphere of influence because it will pay big dividends when things run out. And things are going to run out. It may not be dire, but things will run out because as fuel gets more expensive, things will stop moving. And it will be luxury items first, coffee, things like that. So 
the best thing you can do for yourself is start to have some things on hand. Have at least, and I say have three to five days worth of food and water on hand. That's the best mm-hmm. thing you can do for yourself, right? And you've you've probably listened to sit reps or in, and live chats where we've talked about, you know, this is what it looks like. This is what we think is going to happen. The honest truth is, I don't know what's going to happen, but this whole nuclear conversation, bomb in Manhattan, that tells me they're planning some kind of an attack. And that's right up there. That's right there, wheelhouse. I will say it won't work because there's too many people awake that will call bullshit on that right away. And that's the other good thing that I'm seeing too, is that the timeline between conspiracy and reality has gone from six to eight weeks to literally 20, 15 minutes. That's, that's really great. interesting. It's great news. It's great news. It means there's so many people paying attention they can't get over anymore. Hmm. I mean, think about it. The question that I get asked the most is, what can I do as an individual? What can I do? Well, right. you can do three things. One, have some food and water on hand for your family. Number two, get to know your neighbors, who belongs there, who doesn't belong there. Number three, get involved in your community, school boards, city council members, city council meetings, go to go to PTA meetings, be a, a part of the election process, be a, an observer, be a, a precinct committee member, get involved, local community, and then even get involved with your church. And then when you find a community that you identify with and that you you fit into, start start digging deeper into that. Like a case in point, I said in my sit rep today that I talked to a group of people last night at the Cary Lake rally, and they were saying, yeah, we've been expanding our community. We have people that are farmers. We have people that are medics. We have people that are police officers. We have former military. We have firearms guys. And then somebody chimed in on the Telegram channel and said, yeah, well, you guys were there at that being involved in the election process. I was at a school board meeting for the school board here, which is incredibly liberal and we need help. Okay, there you go. You just formed a connection between the election side and between the school council side. So now two parts of that community are going to come together. And I bet you through church, they're going to find another part of the community. That's how Mm -hmm. this is done. That's how you expand your sphere of influence. You have to literally go out and make human connections. Go do that. It doesn't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. Other than your time, go do it. Turn One thing you on. said on, uh, that I've heard you said in another interview with regards to churches is to vet your pastors. Make Absolutely. Sure that, yeah. What do the members need to look at? Ask them where their money's coming from. Take a look at the books. They're a nonprofit organization. Find out where the money's coming from. Ask them directly. Do you take any money from the CDC or from the state government to promote any of the COVID vaccines or any of the other LGBTQ? Because if you look at the Bible, the Bible doesn't talk about any of that. Right. And you'll see that it's creeped into churches here because I've already caught several pastors here trying to push that. We need to be more tolerant. Okay. Does that mean accepting? Does that mean we need to embrace the lifestyle? What does that mean? And then you start digging into it and you realize that the real agenda is that they're trying to get you to embrace the agenda. And that is a different proposition because that's grooming of children. And you need to either walk away or throw them out. And you'll find that very quickly. Yeah. Just as we're wrapping up, can I get your quick take on some of these people, literally three to five second, you know, white hat, black hat, you know, trust them, don't trust them, whatever. Sure. Uh, what's your take on Elon? He's a psychopath. He's a very smart guy, but he's a psychopath. He's an elitist. I mean, the guy's a billionaire. Think about it. I don't trust him at all. Don't trust him. At all. Um, okay. Uh, Bill Gates, obviously we touched Douche. on him. and <laughs> Douche. Okay. Douche. Uh, Obama, we talked about him a little bit. Trader. QAnon. Well, it's Q. Q. And the, and the Anons. Q is a PSYOP, and it was a PSYOP to keep everyone at home 
so they could perpetuate the steal. And now Q is back and it's taken the entire community full stop. Look at how many, you know, use case of point. This is going to piss Q people off. So, you know, sitting about you, this is not the express communications from anyone other than Steve Murray. The whole thing behind Q and the Q drops is people would spend hours, hours and days trying to figure out what those meant. And it was garbage. In the information world, we talk about primary effects, secondary effects, or first order, second order, and third order effects, right? You've probably heard me say this, but your audience hasn't. So when you design an information operation, you have a desired outcome that you want to achieve, right? And it's not like the number of bombs on target. It's we want to influence 30% of the population to vote in the next election, or we want to influence 80% of the population to buy a specific product or sign up for a specific website, right? Something like that. In this case, Q's desired effect was to keep people complacent at home. The second and third order effects and the unintended consequences of that was where we go one, we go all. It, it galvanized and created a movement across the planet, not just here. And I don't think they anticipated that was going to happen. Number two, it created the Patriot and Truth movement and created the Anons. And the Anons are the people that were doing the deep research and all the connections of these spider webs between Epstein, the Clintons, and everybody else. And some of it was bullshit, right? Some of it was complete horseshit that people are just pulling out of their ass. But there was a core group of people in the Anons that literally did the deep dives on all these people. And they uncovered the flights, the Clinton Foundation, the activities in Haiti, the activities of the Gates Foundation, the vaccine deaths in India from the Gates Foundation, the polio vaccine. It was Anons that came up with that information. And they were literally, and I shit you not, they were literally scared to death because that second order effect was an unattended consequences. And then the third order of effect, which I don't think they planned on, was it galvanized the American public that the mainstream media was completely controlled. And that was an effect that I think they didn't want because they were pointing in certain directions. Like one of the posts was trust Sessions. Okay, Jeff Sessions is a douchebag. He's a Keebler elf and he's not that smart. Trust Jeff Sessions as the AG. No, no, thank you. Trust Barr. Barr is the Bush family ball licker. That's all that guy's ever done is tongue George Bush's ball sack. He has never done anything else. And when you see posts like that, because I read all four years of the posts, right? And I got turned on in 2017 when somebody posted that Hillary Clinton was going to be arrested like the next day. My twin brother pointed me toward it and said, what do you think of this? I go, that's horseshit. Nobody's going to arrest that woman ever. She is too well protected and too well covered. And so I started paying attention to it. When you watched every time there was a drop, people would spend hours master debating about what it meant. And it was garbage. It was gibberish, right? You have no context for the information. You have no reference point for any of the decodes. You have no decode book to be able to decode what any of it meant. And then people got hung up at the timestamp, the languages, the number of spaces, the wording, garbage, all of its nonsense. If you're going to do a cipher system, somebody's got to have the key to break it right? Somebody's got to have a decode book, a code book to, to encode it, and then a decode book. They threw it into 4chan or 8chan at that time, and everybody was like, oh my God, this one specific thing is real, so it's all real. And no, it's not. There was never a call to action. 
like get involved in the elections. They're going to steal the election. Get involved with your local community. It was none of that. Anons will tell you that, yeah, that's that was some of the messaging. No, it wasn't. Trust the plan, trust sessions, trust bar. That's developing a religion and a cult. That's literally yeah. what that did. And trust this guy. Why, why, and trust the plan. What fucking plan? Right. Who made the fucking plan? Who's yeah. the dipshit who came up with the plan and I'm supposed to trust it? Why would I And who are this? you? Yeah. Well, that's the first question is, who the fuck are you? <laughs> why should I listen to you? Yeah, why, just... who, who gave you the right to make a plan for the rest of us? Yeah. It's just simple questions like that, right? And every time I say it, I get attacked. And the first time I said on Jordan Sather's show, I literally got death threats. And I'm like, guys, use some common sense. Then I spent an hour explaining, this is how intelligence works. As a battalion commander, this is what I expect from my ass too. And you know, the first thing is Seth Keschel said to me last night, he goes, the best thing you've said is this is how intelligence works. He goes, I listened to that. I went, cool. He goes, no, I don't think you understand. People don't get how intelligence works. He goes, I'm doing more intelligence right now than I ever did in my career. I go, I know, isn't it funny? You're doing some of the best work you've ever done. Hmm. I'm telling you, guys done solid intelligence work on the elections. I mean, hmm. that's the best analysis I've ever seen in my career. Hmm. And he did it all by himself. What, is he just a citizen or did you say that he was in the military? He was as well? in the army. Yeah, he was okay. in the assistant S2 for a 125. And we chewed some of the same dirt. So it was pretty interesting to see it. Well, Colonel, you've given us so much of your time tonight. Thank you so much. There's so much more information that I'd love to pick your brain on, but maybe we could. <laughs> we'll do this again. Yeah. We'll do it yeah, again. Man. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, Thank I you again. If, if we can do this next week, then we can probably follow up and it'll be fresh in everybody's mind. Cause I'm sure you're going to get a bunch of questions too. Oh, so. I'm sure I'm going to get more than just a few questions. <laughs> <laughs> but again, yeah. thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah. No worries, man. You take care. It's good. Good All talking right. to you. All right. You care. too. Bye-bye. Right,